Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Father, again, we thank you for this promise. The fact that we can be blessed, and we know that as New Testament believers, that the Lord Jesus Christ came to this earth and died for our sins so that we might be forgiven, that we might be made part of your family, that we would have all spiritual blessings in the heavenlies in Christ. Lord, thank you that uh, we can be blessed, that we are blessed, we continue to be blessed. And yet sometimes, Lord, we do not take advantage of all that you have given to us. Forgive us for those times that we wander off the path. Forgive us for those times that we get enamored by this world and the ways and the thinking of this world. Lord, remind us that we have all that we need for life and godliness. That we are as spiritual as we want to be because you've given us all these things in Christ. Lord, I pray that we'd make decisions, even today, to live a holy and pure life in this wicked world. To not succumb to its temptations, its seductions of the way that it wants us to think. But we might be holy and pure and different from the ways of this world so that we might honor and glorify you and truly experience the blessed life. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. If you have a bulletin, you might want to get the outline out. There's a couple things I want to show you. If you see the outline where it says the man God blesses, you turn it over and it says the uh, AABC ministry plan for 2013. You got that on the back side? A number of years ago, we did a five-year plan. It was back in 2006. What we found was we were somewhat, oh, what's the word, aggressive, <laughs> thinking we could accomplish a lot more than we really did at the time. We, we did not have, I don't believe at that time, had an associate, at least a full-time. So a lot of the plans that were really a five-year plan, 2006, 7, 8, 9, and 10, never got accomplished. We got a lot of 2006 sequentially accomplished and 2007 sequentially accomplished. I think actually now we're working off of 2008. (laughs) The reason I say that is one, this is the plan for this year. Actually, we've already gotten a couple things done. Trying to be proactive here. One that I wanted to show you at the very end is the building, developing a facility to serve others. As you know, we've been working on a master plan, and you've seen it out there in the foyer and also the the, uh, actual uh, model that uh, Dan Warner uh, built, and that's out in the foyer as well. But again, uh, new construction, we're hoping by April. End of April, you see the tin box gone, and we'll start building. So again, keep praying for that, and if you'd like to give, we haven't said much about the giving aspect. Much of the money has been raised, but again, we still have a, a ways to go. But if you would like to give towards the building program, but again, 
I point this out, this ministry plan, because, again, in each area of the church, whether it's growing strong, which has to do with believers specific, or believers serving together, or reaching out to our community, or strengthening believers, which is even our missionaries, there's a, a plan that we would like to see continue to, so that we can be uh, proactive, that we could be uh, effective in people's lives. By the way, I hope that encourages you that we have a plan, but not only that, but you, again, you would be praying, and maybe you would even be uh, helping out in certain of those areas. This is not all for just myself to do, or myself and Ken, or myself, Ken, and the elders. Uh, building has to do with the building program, strengthening believers has to do with the missions committee. Uh, just keep praying. Keep praying that we can be effective. You know, it's easy in the Christian life to be busy and not necessarily effective. So again, we want to be effective. But the other reason I bring that up is, like I said, this was produced back in 2006. And if you don't have a plan, like as a church, you can kind of wander pretty easy. But because we had the plan, even though we didn't get it all done in 2006 or 2007 or 2008, it was very easy for us as elders, as leaders, to go back this year, about two months ago, I guess it is, three months ago, and say, okay, what have we accomplished according to the plan that we wanted to accomplish many, many years ago that's still in effect? And what do we need to continue to accomplish? You know, what, what are the new objectives? What are the new initiatives? See, when you have a plan, it's easy to get back on the road. It's very easy. It's very important, by the way, as you as individuals have a plan as far as spiritual growth. Because once in a while, we do wander. We get off into the ditch, or we wander off into other temptations, or whatever it might be. But if you have a plan, you can get right back on pretty simple. Because you've already thought through, this is what God wants me to do, and, and I find that I'm not where I'm supposed to be, so let me go back to the plan, like we did, and really in just a few hours, I was able to say, okay, this is what's been accomplished, and this is what needs to be accomplished in Alfred Allman Bible Church. But the same thing happens with an individual. We need to sometimes get back on the track. And again, as we are starting a new year, and I'm not much for resolutions, you know, but I am for fresh starts and new beginnings. I do believe that's very biblical. At times we need to say, you know what, we're, not, we're on the wrong path. We need to get back on the right path. And the, the reason I say all this is because that's what Psalms is about, especially Psalms 1. Psalms 1 is the, is the plan. It's interesting that it's Psalms 1. <laughs> I think God put it there simply for the fact of, listen, as, we, as you go to worship, as you seek to honor me, as you seek to glorify me, which, by the way, is all what the Psalms are, 150 Psalms about glorifying and honoring and worshiping the Lord. When we come to a decision, a commitment, when our plan is, Lord, I want to honor you and glorify you, I want to exalt you and follow you. He puts the first psalm as, well, this is how you have to be if you're going to glorify me. And he, he makes a contrast between those who are blessed by God and those who are cursed by God. Those who are godly and those who are ungodly. Now again, in the extreme, the godly are those who are in Christ. And the ungodly are those who are outside of Christ. But have you, have you ever noticed that as believers, the sewage can sometimes splash on you that's in this world. The sewage can get on you. So don't look at the ungodly as the unbelievers only because you can look like an unbeliever, right? You may be acting like an unbeliever at this very moment. You may be thinking like an unbeliever at this very moment. You may be talking like an unbeliever at this very moment. 
or at least this last week. Yeah, think about the week. I mean, what a great, wasn't it a great week? I hope you had a great week, great Christmas, and don't you just love all that snow? Makes it feel like the old days. I can start reminiscing now, the old days. And we had a great Christmas, looking forward to a good new year. But you know what? Sometimes the, the sewage of the world has been allowed into our life, and we've been splashed by it. And maybe we've thought like the world, or talked like the world, or acted like the world. And maybe you're saying, you know what? Yeah, I'm not much into res- resolutions because they always end up being thrown off by the wayside, you know, four weeks in. But you know what? I want to I walk with God. I'm tired of this wandering. I'm tired of this busyness without effectiveness. I'm tired of trying to look good in front of people, but God really knows my heart. This is a passage. This is a plan to get you back on track, okay? Well, let's look at it. First word, blessed. Blessed. Maybe your version has some other word, happy, but it's blessed. First word of the Psalms. First word, word of Psalms 1. And again, this is a very favorite psalm, isn't it? I mean, outside of Psalms 23, this is probably the most familiar of the psalms. But this psalm is going to be asking some questions, or actually answering some questions. Question one, what type of life are you living? What type of life are you living? Number two, and what type of impact are you having? Again, we're talking about a spiritual life. What type of life are you living spiritually? What type of impact are you having spiritually? And then he ends by talking about what's, what's the end. In other words, what's the result of either living for God or not living for God? Living by God's Spirit or not living by God's Spirit? He lays it right out. Again, the theme is the happiness of the godly and the judgment of the ungodly. And really, throughout Scripture, you see this. In fact... It isn't until chapter 3 of Genesis that we find the idea of curse. When God creates this world, what does he want to do to his people? Bless them. Why is it that we have a curse? Because Adam fell. It's not God that wants to curse. It's God that wants to bless. He wants to give us the path. He wants to give us the map. It's only because we are disobedient that we sorrow. It's only because we don't follow him that we have our problems. So again... We, we want to see this path of blessing. And it, it's easily uh, divided off like this. Verses 1 through 3 is talking about the godly. Verses 4 through 6, primarily about the ungodly. Even though he keeps going back and forth, primarily verses 1 through 3 are about the godly. And I've actually got six pages today. That's a problem. Normally I only have four, and I still go over. Six is a real problem. I hate to have you guys, like, leave. You know, I don't like to have when people have to leave. So we're going to have to just abbreviate this, just kind of give you pieces. And one of my prayers so far has been, Lord, just, just help me to say the things that are necessary and forget the rest. Maybe afterwards you can tell me if I did that. Let's look at the first part, the promise of the blessing. Again, blessed, blessed. Blessed is the man. God is the one that wants to bless. Over in Ephesians 1.3, it says, Blessed be the... Notice how many times the word blessed appears. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every... Catch this. Blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. He uses the word blessed three times. And it all is coming from the Lord. And it's all upon us, every spiritual blessing. Why? Because we're in Christ. God wants to bless his children. 
Do you believe that? Do you believe that God really wants to superabundantly bless you? By the way, he has blessed us, but sometimes we don't take advantage, we don't experience the blessing because of sin and temptation. But he wants to bless us. That word blessed means supremely happy and fulfilled. In other words, you find your fulfillment, you find your satisfaction in God. Not in the things of this world, because again, joy and peace are not found in circumstances. But it's, it's supremely happy. <coughs> Could you say of yourself that you are supremely happy? Again, this blessedness is, is a gift from God. It's not something we earn, it's not something we deserve. It is true that we, as we walk with God, we experience it. But blessedness comes from God. It's, it's a gift from God because we are in Christ, because we have received his son. So we're this gift. Again, it's not a feeling. It's not just happy, but you could maybe say it that way, supremely happy. It's that peace and that joy of walking with your Savior, of knowing that God is your Father. Now again, this blessedness, sometimes we try to find in other things. And God has to keep breaking us of these other things. You know, we run to the world and we think that somehow money or possessions or power and prestige or importance of some, you know, your name or whatever it might be. I mean, you have all the different things of the world that is pushing on you. This will make you happy. This will make you happy. And, and what we find as believers is that, you know, we, we go down that path a little ways, the world's sinking, and then we say, you know, it doesn't make us happy. It doesn't make us fulfilled. In fact, it actually makes us more miserable. Why? Because we lose focus on our Father. <laughs> we get off the path. So those paths are superficial. They're living for today. They're living for this, you know, time frame. It's, a lot of it has to do with what is important to me and my rights and all that, you know. And you get the idea. But the point is, is if we, the blessedness that we're talking about here is something that only God can give. Even in the midst of very hard trials and circumstances, you can still be supremely happy and fulfilled in Christ. You want to have this blessing? You want to have this meaningful life? You know, uh, Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, and again, he, he, wrote, he, he talked about many things in Ecclesiastes, you know, all the pursuits of man on this earth. But what did, what, how did he sum it up? Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's all empty. I mean, you can go down the path of power. You can go down the path of of uh, family and even relationships. You can go down the path of sensuality and sex. You can go down the path of possessions, but it all is vanity, vanity. It just, in the end, it doesn't satisfy. So that's the first thing about this word blessed. It means supremely happy and fulfilled. The second is this. The word blessed is in the plural. He's not looking at one blessing. He's looking and saying, God just wants to marvelously bless you in so many areas of your life. The multiplicity of blessings. Not only the multiplicity, but the intensification, as one person said. The inten it's, it's intense. In other words, it's almost like you have new eyes. Uh, the things that you used to have that didn't bring satisfaction, now you're walking with God, and even the simplest things are a great blessing to you. You ever find that? When you really walk with God, it's like the blinders go off, and other pursuits don't matter, because, oh, you see what just even having a time in the Word... I say even, but you know, just, oh, so blessed. Blessed is the man. I want to be that blessed man. 
fact, Charles Swindoll uh, translated this first verse this way. Oh, the blessednesses, plural, of the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Oh, and then he goes like this. Oh, the happinesses many times over. Just over and over and over. Well, what is the cause of this happiness according to this passage? Now, again, putting in the context, it's faith in Christ, forgiveness through Christ, the fact that we are in Christ. But what is he really pointing at here? And and this is what he's pointing at. The abundance, the abundant life, where we find happiness is this. It is the uncompromising purity of a righteous walk with God. That's what he's getting at here. It's the uncompromising purity of a righteous walk with God. We have to be uncompromising in our walk with God. He is holy, he is pure, he is righteous. We need to be as well. And when we veer, then chastisement comes into our life. Again, the word compromise, what I mean by that is, you know, sometimes we have to compromise. You know, in relationships, you have to compromise. I've been married for 20 nine years and I have noticed over that time frame that I'm not always right (laughs) in fact I have found myself being wrong more times than not Um, and I mean that seriously she really was right well that's a compromise you know if you're going to live with someone like you know my wife I have to compromise you have to compromise that's part of life it's part of relationships but here when I mean compromise But you don't compromise when it comes to sin and impurity and ungodliness and unrighteousness, whether it's in the form of your talk, your thinking, or your walk. So there's a difference. But if if you do keep compromising, you're going to be like that oak. You ever seen a big old oak and it's, it's stood there for years or maybe a maple and it stood there for years and all of a sudden... You know, you had a pretty severe storm. And you go out after the storm, and it was maybe 40, 50, 60 miles an hour. And that thing is, you know, tipped over. And then you look inside, and you start realizing, you know what? There was rot on the inside core that we never saw. Because it was standing, and you thought it was solid through and through, you know, to the core. But you find out it was actually rotten from the inside. And now the wind came, and it blew it over. It can do that sometimes in our life. We make compromises. We, we justify or, or rationalize certain things in our life. And it starts to rot out. And then we wonder, why isn't the Lord seem to be so close? Why does it seem that he's so far away? And the Christian life is hard and boring. I used to hear that word sometimes. <laughs> I don't know how the Christian life could ever be boring. How could, it's like, it's like saying to a soldier, you know, you've been in Iraq for, or uh, Afghanistan for the last three years, it's been really boring. Well, yeah, I know, I know there's downtimes, but hey, anytime there's an enemy around, how can it be boring? It wants to to destroy you. So again, the promise of a blessing, well, let's look at the path of a blessing, of the blessing. I don't think I left this in your outline, but you might want to write this down. The man who God blesses is careful in his walk. That's what the second part of verse 1 is referring to, the path. The man who God blesses is careful in his walk. And he divides it up into two sections here. First of all, he he says uh, the disassociation with the ungodly. 
Blessed is the man who, and he puts out some verbs, who doesn't do something when he walks or stands or sits. Do you see the progression there? I'll, I'll give it to you. Walk, stand, sit. Now that's a progression. Let's look at those. First of all, this blessed man is one who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. The idea is walking near sin. Walk has, is a term that suggests passing by, uh, a casual movement. In other words, it's not yet to the point where he's pursuing this sin, but what he's done is he's allowed himself to get near it. In Proverbs uh, I believe it's in chapter 5, it says, remove your foot far from her, talking about the adulteress. The idea is don't even get near sin. Because sin is so tempting, it's like James says, it can entice. It's like that fishing lure that once the fish is out there and open, now all of a sudden it can be caught. Why? Because it finally all of a sudden sees the lure. And he thinks it's a meal, but he becomes one, right? But this casual walk. Now, I want you to see the, the contrast, though. This, this man, who is God's man, who is walking, should not go near the counsel of the ungodly. The word counsel means planned direction. The idea is this. When it comes to the wicked, they've got their plan. <laughs> They're going in their direction. The only question is, is are we going to change? It's not that they're going to change. See, it's, it's the counsel of the ungodly. It's firm. They have their... Uh, their plan all in place of the direction they want to go. As one guy said this, oh, the happiness, again, many times over, of one, one who does not go in that path, who doesn't flirt with the world. In fact, I think sometimes we find it very, uh, we're susceptible to flirting with the world. We watch something or see something or hear something and we don't challenge it. We don't steer clear of it. Now, what is he talking about? Well, as I just said, as you walk, stand, and sit, what is that? I mean, think about it in, in these terms. It's spiritual erosion is what he's talking about here. We are all susceptible to spiritual erosion. Erosion that is very, very uh, slow, like the oak tree. I saw, I saw physical erosion when we owned our cottage for a few years up at uh, Sandy Pond. The first year we were there, you could walk out from the mainland to the dock all on solid ground. Had a few storms, then all of a sudden it was starting to shrink. The sand, everything was starting to shrink. I couldn't get out to our dock. Finally, the last year, in fact, this is one of the reasons we wanted to sell, was because you literally had to either walk on a plank or walk through the water to get to your boat. The, the erosion of the sand. And because of the DEC, you couldn't replace it. Whatever was, 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 because we want to go back to nature. That's their idea, I guess. But the point is, is this. There's spiritual erosion happening. When it comes to your life, is it easy to see spiritual erosion? If you answer yes, you're wrong. No, it's not easy. No, it's not easy to see spiritual erosion many times. It's just those walking by, associating with, not realizing it's starting to change your values. It's starting to change your thinking. So we have this person who walks not in the council. Again, he's a big word, not. He says, listen, if you want to be the blessed man, don't do this. Don't walk in the council of the ungodly, getting near it and just constantly like entertaining it. 
Look at the next one. Nor stands in the path of sinners. See, he's not only walking near sin, he's standing to consider sin at this point. He's walking along, and now he's standing to consider it. The idea of stand is the idea of coming and taking one stand and actually, get this, defending it. At this point, he's actually looking at it and saying, well, it's really not that bad. It's like churches who defend homosexuality. How do they get there when it's so clear in Scripture that, that, the, that God is against uh, sodomy? Well, because they've allowed themselves to stand, excuse me, to walk, and then finally they're going to stand, and then they're going to actually defend it ultimately. Actually, that's the whole process. But it's very slow, very, very slow sometimes. It doesn't always happen fast. I'm reminded of a story. The lady, I think it was in St. Louis, in 19, I think it was 84, something like that. But anyways, she was, um, she was home, and she was apparently a, a cleaner. Now, the only reason I say this is she was an unemployed cleaner. In her house, she kept seeing these bees come in to her attic, you know, but there was only a handful. And so she thought nothing of it, really. And all during the summer, she kept seeing these bees come in and out, in and out. Now, being a cleaner, you would think, wait a second, she's going to go up and see, you know, is there something there? Do I have to clean, you know, but didn't pay much attention, just slow erosion during the whole summer. It seemed like the bees were kind of multiplying here. It seemed like there's more bees, you know. And finally, at the end of the season, you know, come fall, her second-story bedroom ceiling collapsed. Well, what was it? Because they had been building a hive, and there was hundreds of pounds of honey that just collapsed. And, I, you know, I think to myself, sometimes that's how erosion again happens in our life. We just look at it, and we see the bees, and we think, well, you know, it's no big deal. It's just a few. But they keep coming by. keeps coming through. The thought keeps coming. The action, the words out of my mouth keep... But again, there, there'll be a day of judgment. There'll be a day when it caves. But again, don't stand in the path of sinners. Again, path is a well-worn, marked out, certain, precise way of living. You see what he's saying? Listen... The godly was walking with God, but now he's looked at the counsel of the, God, uh, 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 the wicked. And now he's in the path of sinners. He's getting used to sin. And then finally, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Here it's sitting down, not only considering it and defending it, but I believe he's enjoying it. There's a transfer that's been taking place of his value system and his biblical thinking. And he's sitting. It's, it, that suggests permanence. This is where he wants to be. This is what he wants to see. This is what he wants to do. But yet he's, a, he's, he's supposedly the righteous man. You get the picture? The, this is the picture that uh, God wants to give us. We are happy many times over if we maintain a pure walk, free from even the slightest flirtation with evil. We don't want to start the path by walking, or then standing, or then sitting. You know, there's a really good illustration of this in, uh, in the Old Testament. It's Lot. Remember Abraham's nephew? First of all, he walked with the counsel of the ungodly. What do I mean by that? It says in Genesis 13, verse 11, Then Lot chose for himself. Now, he chose. Abraham said, you choose. And he chose for himself, quote, All the plain of Jordan, which was near Sodom. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. 
the first thing that happened is he chose. And he chose to go where the, the, the best of the land was. Unfortunately, it was near Sodom. And then it says, specifically, and they separated. In other words, now Lot no longer has the godly influence of his uncle Abraham. That's a very dangerous place to be. Here's a young man. I mean, by this point, he's, I mean, he's married and stuff like that. I'm not saying that. But, but, he's, but he's not getting the counsel from the elder, uh, Abraham. And he's chosen the best, which he thinks is the best. So now he's, he's walking on his own path. But then it says this. He took his stand among sinners. I mean, in the context, verse 12. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. See, he pitched his tent. He didn't just walk. He pitched his tent. He's gonna, this is where he's going to live. And you say, well, isn't that the uh, uh, city? Well, no. It actually says something else. Later in Genesis 19, Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. <laughs> okay, so do you see what he's saying? He made the decision, Abraham's here, I'm here. Then he pitches his tent, but then he's actually sitting at the gate, which means he became one of the rulers. He's one of the decision makers. He's, he's in, the, uh, in the system, as it were, right there at Sodom. Now, you say, well... What was going on in his heart? You know, it's great that the New Testament, once in a while, gives us a little picture of what's going on in this man's heart. Go to Second uh, Peter chapter 2 for a moment. I'll show you what was going on in his heart. Was he a righteous man? Yes, the Bible is very clear that Lot was a righteous man. But what did this righteous man, did he fail? Yes, he did fail. He walked, he stood, and he sat among sinners. And, and I don't mean that, you, that, that we can't be in the world. We've got to be, but we're not of it. And we can't start enjoying it. That's where my concern is. Sometimes I think we're enjoying the world too much. They say the church is 20 years behind the world. Wherever the world is 20 years later, the church follows along and we become accustomed and say, well, this is, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do as it were. Well, let's look and see what happened to this righteous man. Verse 7. So it's 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7. And delivered righteous Lot. Well, let's go verse 6 just to get a little more context. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterwards would live ungodly. In other words, God judges the ungodly. And delivered righteous Lot. So he's righteous. But... But was he blessed? See, yes, we're righteous. We're declared righteous in Christ. That's justification, right? But was he, did he have supreme happiness, as it were? Dwelling among them, second part of verse 8, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by the seeing and the hearing their lawless deeds. See, he was righteous in the sense of, I believe he had faith in Jehovah. But his soul was tormented. By the way, one of the reasons I know he was righteous because his soul was tormented. See, it's one thing to... Now, let me draw this to an application. Be very, very careful as we're going through this not to just say, well, that's Lot, and I don't know what you mean by the sinners and stuff. I'm saying this. I think it's very easy for us to become accustomed to the world. Where it used to be that if the Lord's name was taken in vain, we'd shut it off. But now, it's a movie. 
It's entertainment. Come on. I mean, what am I going to watch? Or skin, or whatever else is ungodly. When we get to the point of, of saying, well, it's entertainment, or it's the stuff that you see as far as on the news, <laughs> or it's the stuff or the people that you hang with and you just say, hey, that's the only friends I have. I, I don't know where the ungodliness is at. And again, I'm not advocating at all that you cut all ties with all people who are not believers. You know, like, well, I can't hang with them because they're not a believer. I'm not, that is not the point. The point is this, are we becoming accustomed to wickedness? Are we allowing and, and rationalizing and saying, you know what, you know, I, I, this, is where, this, is, this is where I live. You know, I mean, I, this, what else? In fact, I was thinking about this. You know that you're compromising when? When you rationalize your sin. You know you're, just understand, like I said, is it easy to be able to identify erosion, spiritual erosion? I don't think it is. But know that if you're rationalizing your sin, I believe that you're compromising. When that you're no longer convicted over sin. Seeing, saying, doing. I think you're also compromising. We are when we're trying to hide our actions. <laughs> when I start hiding my actions, I start saying, why? Why am I going to hide anything? Or if I say this, well, you know, younger son of mine, go to bed because this is more for adults to watch. Never. That should never be said by a Christian. What do you mean? What, what, you know, Purity is purity, is it? impurity is impurity. When you move away from accountability of the body of Christ, in other words, certain things become secret or hidden, and we're no longer interconnecting with other believers, because what would they think? I think we're compromising when Christ becomes less beautiful and less, I'll use this word, this word sweet to us, I think that's, a, that's an area. Maybe there's spiritual erosion happening in my life because he's become less sweet. Why? Because my palate, my spiritual palate, is becoming sensitized to other things. That's what's happening. I think we have spiritual erosion in our life when the word of God and prayer is a chore. Now, at times, is it hard to read the Word of God while you walk with God? Absolutely. Is it hard to pray? Yeah, the flesh works against it. But when you just find consistently, it's just... Uh. In fact, maybe it's not even hard any longer. Maybe it's no longer a chore. Maybe you just don't do it. And I find the final thing, I think spiritual erosion is happening in our lives when we have entertainment of sin. The entertainment of sin triumphs the purity of life. When we are more concerned with being entertained than we are walking with God. Again, our spiritual palates, it's easy to get them acclimated to something else. I, I always go back to this thought, because I read it in a book one time. The guy says, listen, what's easier? What is easier for your flesh to, to palate, to, uh, to uh, find satisfaction in? Watching Tom Cruise on Mission Impossible 1 or spending time in the Word of God and fellowshipping with Him. What's easier to the flesh? Well, obviously, Tom Cruise. What's going to become, what's, what, um, what does the flesh fight against as soon as the Word of God is brought in? Whatever God, God, the flesh hates God. 
So we have to discipline our life and say, go back to Psalms 1 and say, you know what, I want to be supremely blessed. But, but, I got to make sure that I'm not being casual with sin, walking. Then I'm stopping and starting to consider it. And then finally, even defending it, sitting. But, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight. The word delight means pleasure. And, and by the way, this is the, the transfer. The dissociation with the ungodly, now it's the connection with the word of God. Or, the, or you could say this, the saturation of the word of God in our lives. This is what puts in, uh, to us a new, uh, a new value system. But it also just, you know, I mean, I've been in this scenario many, many times. And I'm like, you know, Lord, I'm just not finding you satisfying. I'm not finding you sufficient. I'm not finding you pleasurable. I, you know, I, and, you know, and, and I, it's, I feel like Job. Or not Job, Lot. Tortured soul. In fact, one thing I didn't mention that tortured soul concept. It says this, and I know you already passed it, but it says he was oppressed. He was oppressed. He was tired. The word is tired. It's like he was just getting, uh, Lot was just getting tired of the sin, but yet he still stayed there. He was exhausted. That's how the word is used. In fact, the word is also used treated roughly. You feel like you're a punching bag. You ever feel like that when it comes to the ways of the world? You ever even feel like that when you, again, I'm not banging on all the movies, but all I'm saying is you, you walk away from a movie and you feel like you've just been beat up spiritually and you endured it and you had a, this cuss word and that scene and, and then finally, it, you know, and I feel, I bet you that's how, I bet you that's how Lot felt with their, it's quote, their filthy conduct. And I looked up that. The filthy conduct refers to unbridled lust, their excesses, their recklessness, their decadence, their shamelessness, their insolence. And so it just says, For righteous man Job, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. He was oppressed by their filthy conduct. Man, don't be oppressed by their filthy conduct. Live different, because that's the blessed life. Well, anyways, I got off track. Let's go back to verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight, his longing, his pleasure is in the law of the Lord. Now think about that. His delight, his longing is in the law of the Lord. That sounds odd. What do you mean? In fact, C.S. Lewis said, in one of his uh, commentaries or his reflections on the Psalms, he says, isn't that, quote, an utterly bewildering, utterly bewildering and mysterious thought that someone could do- delight in the law of the Lord? Now think of what the law is. Uh, the law usually condemns. I mean, maybe you respect it, but you actually delight in it? You delight in the standard? You delight in the standard that actually condemns you? Well, but wait a second. If, if you're righteous and you're living by faith, in fact, he said this, usually the law is not something you delight in. Rather, again, you respect or hopefully obey it. But this law is needed because it gives a clear, absolute standard which leads him to know God better and his ways so that he might fully obey and love God. So whereas usually the law is like actually repulsive, because he is one who walks by faith, 
He is made righteous by God. Now he's drawn to the law because it gives him a better picture of who God is so that he might love him and obey him. See, the word of God isn't repulsed. We don't repulse when we're walking with him. I'll tell you what, though. At times when I've walked away, it's like, I don't want to go to the word. I don't want to hear another condemning thing. Well, I need to confess and walk. And then Christ becomes sweet. It's not boring. I thirst for it. That's why Psalms 119 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. Which again is the law. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So again, this delight in the law of the Lord, I believe is an indicator of of, of the true birth, of the new birth, of the new birth. So the first thing is, you know, as I'm walking down this path, and again, sewage can sometimes get splashed on me. What do I have to do? Well, I want to delight in the law of the Lord. I.e., I've got to, I've got to change my thinking. If, if you find yourself on this path, and you want to get on this path of Psalms 1, well, we've got to get back to where we're longing for the, the, the law of the Lord. Which is the first is, Lord, if there's something in my life or many things in my life, I want you to reveal them so I can get them out of my life. Now, the second thing is, though, this. And his law, he meditates, or the word ponder, day and night. Meditation. What is meditation? Meditation is like, you know, again, you see with the, well, we live in a farming area, cows, chewing the cud. But why? Why is it that a cow chews the cud? Why is it that it has four stomachs? Why is it that it sequentially goes through the, you know, it eats grass and it sequentially goes through the four stomachs? What is it, what's happening there? It's drawing out the nutrients. It's drawing out the sweetness, the value that can be used by the body, right? That's what it does. That's exactly what he's saying here. Listen, you want to stay away from the ungodly, but you also have to meditate. You have to ponder. In fact, I think this is where three-by-five cards come in great. These are really handy little items. Take a three-by-five card. Have devotions. Find a truth. And then write it on the three-by-five card. Put three-by-five card in pocket. Throughout day, meditate on truth. Why? Because it's, it's breaking it down. It's taking a truth and it's breaking it down for your spiritual life. It's nourishing your soul is what it's doing. Sometimes we, we, we find truth in Scripture and we're so excited about it, isn't it? You know, it's 8 o'clock in the morning. Oh, this is a great truth. Man, I've got to remember this. And then someone says, hey, how's your life been? You know, let's say three hours later. Hey, oh, it's been great. Oh, I really had a great time in the Word today. Yeah, what did you learn? Uh, easily forgotten. But here, meditation. This is what Spurgeon said 100 and some years ago about meditation. To read it by day and think upon it by night. He takes a text or a concept and carries it with him all day long. And at night when, when sleep forsakes his eyelids, he thinks upon the word of God. In the day of his prosperity, he sings psalms out of the word of God. And at night of, the affliction, of his affliction, he comforts himself with the promises out of the same book. End quote. Yeah, he just, he keeps... As I have said many times, it's like a hard piece of candy. You know, many of you, how many of you like candy? I personally like chocolate, but sometimes you have these hard pieces of candy, right? And, and the difference between a kid and an adult is usually very, very uh, stark in contrast. You give a hard piece of candy to a kid, what does he do? 
Can I have another? Well, because our teeth are not as good as kids, <laughs> and we've had, you know, bridge work and everything else done, we're not going to do, do that. So you get a piece of hard candy. What do we do as adults? You savor it. You put it in your mouth. And sometimes, literally, it can last for 30 to 60 minutes. Right? You're not going to chew it, maybe just because your teeth aren't that good. But the point is you're savoring it. You're, you're really enjoying that piece of candy. Well, that's, what, that's really what the psalmist is saying here. The difference between the ungodly who are, that's, that's, that's savoring the ungodliness, but now this one, no, he is delight, the word, see, put those two words together. Delight and meditate. Put those two together. He, he doesn't find it a chore to get in the word of God because he's delighting in the word of God. And what does he do with it? He meditates, just like the hard candy. Now, if you find a piece of candy that you don't like the taste of, spit it out. But if you find something you really like, you savor it. Because why? You delight in it. And so you meditate. You, you, know, you, you keep it as long as you can in your mouth, as it were. And the word of God should be like that. It should, just, it should just keep bringing its sweetness throughout the day. Again, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. We've got to be reprogramming, rethinking. It should be where, as we come across the sewage of the world, it should just, whoa, don't want to go there. Don't want to go there. And then look at the final thing. And we're going to close with this in one final application. The picture of blessing, verse 3. Now again, this is not the reward, but the result. This is... This is the planting of the seeds and the harvest that follows. Some of us have been planting not good seed. And some of us are harvesting, har- uh, we are harvesting crops and we're wondering, why, man, I thought I was a Christian. Why, why are the crops this bad in my life? Why, do I, why don't I have peace? Why don't I have joy? Well, we've been planting the wrong seeds. <laughs> but this is harvest time for the godly. He shall be like a, a, a flourishing tree. I mean, tree. A flourishing tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The idea of planted is solid, secure, rooted, strong. And But notice, he's planted, but he brings forth fruit, godly fruit. Because again, with every seed that is planted spiritually, there is going to be a harvest. Every one of us are getting a harvest of what we're planting. Again, thankfully, our salvation is not based on our effort. It's free in Christ. But as believers in Jesus Christ, we are still planting. We are still planting. We are still meditating. We are still acting. And those that will come to harvest. And here the psalmist is saying, listen, don't you want to have a harvest that is truly blessed in your life? And here's that the picture and he's a tree and and he doesn't have days uh, whose leaf does not wither why he's planted solid strong beside the rivers of water which is uh, emblematic of the holy spirit and everything he does will prosper and it reminds me of joshua chapter 1 verse 8 as joshua and the israelites are coming into the land this is what god says to joshua this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, then you'll have good success. Man, put the time in that's needed to meditate. Again, do you have to study the word of God? Absolutely. 
Should you pour over the Word of God? Should you even memorize the Word of God? Yes. But really what the key to victory is, the key to blessing, meditate. Meditate, meditate, meditate. Get the three by five card off. Now, verse 4 says, but the ungodly are not so. And again, we don't have any time for that. <laughs> we, can't, we can't go on. But, but basically, Swindoll made a good point. He said this. That first words of verse 4 says this. Not so the wicked. And what he's done there is he's saying, listen, there's a, a major contrast between the walk of the righteous blessed man and the wicked. Why would you ever want to plant seeds on that side? Why would we ever want to violate our conscience by being entertained by ungodliness? Why would we ever go down the path that is just going to be destroyed or the path, at least for a believer, that will have no spiritual fruit by just wanting to either be entertained or just wanting to relax or whatever it might be? In other words, we don't stay vigilant walking with him. Now, you take this person... And at the very end of your outline, I had one final thing I wanted to throw out to you. I'm going to encourage you today to do three things. Simple, but this probably will be our theme for this year. Get connected for the glory of God. Getting connected for the glory of God. If we're going to be effective, if we're going to be fruitful, if we're really going to do what God wants us to do, get connected for the glory of God. And the first area is this, getting connected in the word of God. And I I added one other thing, and prayer. (laughs) It's not about prayer. Psalms 1 is not about prayer, but think about both of them, how they work together. As you get into God's word, now it becomes easier to pray. Why? Because if I don't get into God's word first, and then I go to prayer, you know what it is? My mind wanders, and it becomes very repetitive. Like I'm trying to pray for people, but I haven't filled my soul with the word of God. I have a tendency to wander. I wonder what's going on. Are we going to have pizza for lunch? You know, is the car okay? I noticed that the antifreeze is going a little bit low. I wonder if I have a blown head gasket in the middle of prayer. I feel, I mean, I fill my mind and heart with the word of God. You know what? I stay focused. Lord, as I want to be blessed, I want you to bless this missionary. Bless my wife and my children. Protect them from ungodliness because it's all around them. They go to college. Protect their minds when the professor says something that is absolutely wicked. Fill your mind with the word of God. It keeps you focused in prayer. And the second one is this. Get connected to God's people by serving them. See, the blessed life, the godly life, does spill itself over into others. It can't be like me and no one else. As I get in the word of God and convicted by him, what does that do for me? Makes me less selfish. Makes me less proud. Makes me less more about, you know, like it's all about me. Hey, I need to serve you. I see in scripture there's, there's spiritual gifts and I have abilities. I have to serve you. And so you get outside of yourself. If you really want to grow as a Christian, yes, it's getting in the word of God. Yes, it's praying. But God gave people because if you want to really love God, what does he say? Love your neighbor as yourself. So it's getting out beyond just yourself. You should see that naturally happening. As you walk closer to God, as you become more and more spiritually in tune to him, you know what happens? You get more involved in people's lives because you're here to be a blessing to them. By the way, if you don't do that, you may end up being just a very, very selfish um, Pharisee. You can be very... In fact, I, there's been times where people have been very connected with this church. Unfortunately, there were spiritual Pharisees. It was really all about them. They just felt like they were getting their needs met. And as soon as that wasn't happening, gone. 
You can tell it's Pharisee from a spiritual person by when it gets tough and people are irritating, they, st- they stick with it. Because it's not about me, it's about you, right? It's about us. We serve together. So the word of God and prayer should naturally be bleed over that we serve one another. Amen? Is that true? We function as a family. We function as a family. So again, I would challenge you today, not, not a resolution, but it's great that we can have fresh starts and new beginnings. I think we live in a world that is just uh, full of uh, sewage. <laughs> and we get splashed by it all the time. And sometimes we start rationalizing. And we get splashed a little bit and we wipe it off just a little bit, but it's still the stench stays there. And after a while, we kind of get used to the stench. I told you many times, I actually one time cleaned out my septic by hand. But when, you know what I did right afterwards? I took a shower. And the word of God is the shower. Ephesians says that. And we have to start saying, Lord, is there stench on me? And I don't even realize it. Is there things in my life that is making it so that I don't have run to your word and the sweetness of you and, and walking with you? And I've been planting the wrong seeds. I need to get, to, if it is, you know what, Lord, show me. Let me repent so I can have the sweetness of walking with you, the true fellowship that you desire, because blessed is the man who does that, right? Let's stand as we worship him. As we close, I just want to encourage you to have a moment to talk with God. Again, the influences of wickedness is all around us, but don't think I'm just talking about, let's say, media or entertainment. That's part of it. Part of it's the people you hang with. A major part could be this, though. Self-talk. What do you find yourself meditating on when nothing else is going on? I find it interesting. I started challenging my thinking in the down times. I found myself thinking about protection against financial crises or, you know, all the stuff of this world. It wasn't thinking or meditating or delighting in the Word of God. So the influences I'm talking about with you could be coming from another area. So don't say, well, I don't watch movies or anything that you know, violates my conscience. No, no. It's there. Be careful because the flesh, it sucks into the flesh. You know, it wants that stuff. So again, I want to just encourage you, just take a moment. Simple prayer. Lord, show me if I'm walking or standing or, or sitting and defending evil. Show me if there's areas in my life I need to change. If I'm planting that type of crop, I want to go where it's, where it's blessing. So let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you that our hope is in Jesus Christ that we are not earning our salvation, that we don't even earn blessing. Because the reality is that, that you have declared us righteous, and yet you want us to walk in passive righteousness. Father, I pray that you would sensitize our spirits to the work that you would want to do in each one of us. Lord, if we are allowing, allowing certain influences of evil in our lives, whether it's our life or our children's lives, may we be adamant and strong against that. Please, especially for our kids as well, please protect them. There are so many ungodly influences. Again, sensitize our hearts and help us to stand strong like soldiers against the ways of this world. 
Create in our hearts a delight for your word and your ways that we would be quick to run back to this path. And Lord, for those, for us, of us who have planted the wrong seeds, give us the hope of knowing that as we plant the right seeds in our life, it will grow to a great harvest. Thank you that this blessedness is, again, not based on us earning it. It's just based on us walking with you. And, and we thank you that you're our Father, that you've heard our prayers, that you want to change us and grow us for your honor and glory. Again, just give us that new hope <laughs> that we can have fresh starts and new beginnings. But make us committed to this path, not just right now in an emotional sense, but throughout this week, throughout this month, may we truly walk with you in Jesus' name. Amen.